Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Galatians, or, yeah, Galatians, hopefully we'll get someplace tonight. <laughs> Other than five verses, right? You got through five verses. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll try to get a little bit farther tonight. See, it was really bad. I went to Galatians and I got five verses in one night. We're never going to get through it. We'll get through it. So, let's open in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this time of study. Uh, open our hearts and minds as we study your word tonight. Give us insight. Thank you for this opportunity. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Galatians chapter 1. Let's work our way on down through. We talked up through verse 5, so let's pick up in verse 6. Galatians is an interesting book in that um, if you look at all of, other, all of Paul's other epistles that he wrote, which are um, 11 more epistles, discounting Hebrews, I don't think he wrote Hebrews, he always starts out his letter with some, um, I guess, some commendations, some personal, uh, sort of like, uh, hey, great, how's it going? I'm really thinking about you people. I'm really happy that you're, you know, I'm really grateful for you. I pray for you every day. Um, he always starts out in a very nice sort of like tone. Well, except this one. Um, in this one here in verse 6, he starts out sort of almost aghast, sort of like, like, I cannot believe this. I mean, what's wrong with you people? I mean, really, that's about what it is. You know, what's the matter with you folks? I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. Um, now, if, if these churches that Galatians was written to, which were, remember what those were? What were the four churches? Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Antioch. All right. Of Pisidia, not Syria, of Pisidia. If these are the churches, and he says, I marvel that you are so soon turned away, about how long after he visited them do you think he wrote this letter back? Probably not too long. I mean, it would have been a matter of years, probably more, maybe a couple years, somewhere around in there. Yeah, pretty soon. Because the marvel is, what happened? I mean, it was so quick that you got turned away from what I preached to you. And then the question is, well, when was his first missionary journey? What years was that? Anybody want to take a guess on that? Probably 40, some say 45 to 46-ish somewhere around in there. We don't have the exact date, all right? Um, we, we know in um, uh, Acts chapter 12, when it talks about the death of Herod, that that was, I think it was 45 AD is when he died. Um, so if Acts is somewhat chronological, Acts 12, 45 AD. Then Acts 13, you have the Paul's missionary journey. Um, it may be that pretty close to 46, 47, somewhere around in there. So this was written very early on, and, and probably about 48 B.C. maybe even. And he was just saying, I, I cannot believe that you so quickly turned away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel. Now, we really need, you really need to emphasize this notion here, to another 
gospel. Another one. It's not the gospel I preached. It's a different one. It's a gospel unlike the one that you've heard. And, and the one here that you heard was him who called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And um, I'll tell you, the older I get in my Christian life, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I appreciate grace. The more I appreciate that. The more I understand, you know, there's nothing I can do to make God happy with me in and of myself, is there? I mean, certainly when we obey Him, we please Him, but, but to say, you know, I'm going to make God happy, and I'm going to make Him really happy with me because I do this, and I do that, and I do that. You know, we all fall so far short of what we ought to be. And when you stop and think about it, we all fall so far short of perfection that, that as far as God is concerned, we're all sort of in the same boat. I mean, we're all equally almost as bad when you compare yourself to perfection. And the gospel that these people were called into was not a gospel of works and bondage and legal activity. It was a gospel of grace. And um, I also appreciate as I grow older in my Christian life, just how simple the gospel is. I mean, you know, you don't need a PhD in theology to figure it out. Um, I picked up a, a little brochure from the Mormon church, and it was a how to be saved. I, may, I, don't, I don't think I have it here. It was how to be a Christian, how to be saved. The thing was about 30 pages long, and you know what? I read it a couple times, and I still don't know what they're saying. It's complex. Yeah. It's difficult. You know, it's, there's just so much, it's so confusing. And the gospel is a, is a pretty simple message. I mean, it's, it's, it's really at the base, very simple. It's a grace. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. But God's gracious. And he says, you've been called from that gospel of grace to a different gospel, which is not another. For all you Greek theologians, there are two words for another in Greek language. One is another of the same kind, another is another of a different kind. Alright? Um, <clears throat> so they would have a different word, like, you know, I have another form of transportation. That could be a bike, it could be my feet, it could be a wagon, it, whatever. But if I say, another car, that means it's another of the same kind. It's, it's of the same category. And he's saying this gospel is not just another gospel of the same kind, it's another one of a different kind. Okay? Now how, much, how many truths do you have in the world when it comes to the gospel? You just got one, right? Now you got a whole boatload of error, but you got one. And, and what, what the problem is we have in the United States today is says, look, you know, look, you got your way, I got my way. Look, I mean, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to live. You don't tell me how to live. If we mean well, you know, God will let us in. Um, that, that's the mentality in the world. Um, and when somebody can stands up and says, you know, the Bible says there's only one way to heaven, they say, you know, what's, what's his problem? I mean, you know, get with it, guy. Get with the times. 
I'm going to probably make somebody mad at me, but this is what bothers me so much about, about some of the so-called ecumenical and, and, and modern evangelistic movements today. We sort of water down, you know, what is the gospel? And we all want to just have one big group hug. After all, we all love Jesus, so let's not split hairs over some theological fine points. Well, there's some things that we can discuss and argue. You can't fool with the gospel. You follow that up, you're going to the wrong place. All right? And, um, for example, you know, for, for years people ask me, what do you think about, you know, about a movement like Promise Keepers or something like that? And I, I say it gives me the heebie-jeebies because, you know, you got someone that says, well, you know, they're Catholic, but they love Jesus, so they're going to heaven. Are they? Necessarily? No. Any more than being a Baptist will get you to heaven, right? Or being a Lutheran will get you to heaven or anything like it's it, you know, I'm not interested in the denominational label. I'm interested in are you depending on Christ alone or are you depending on Christ and whatever you do? And here you have a system, a theological system that's based not on grace but on works. That's the bottom line. There's no other way to put it. Um, just so you know what I feel about Catholicism, I'm doing a class on the cults that starts next Monday, and one of the cults I'm talking about is Catholicism. Because to me, it's, it's a cult. If you're a good Catholic, do you go to heaven? If you obey the Catholic Church and do what they tell you, do you go to heaven? I'll tell you what, you don't. You don't. Now, you can be a Catholic and accidentally, you know, hear the message and be saved. I mean, I mean it, it can happen. But if you're a good Catholic and you believe the theological dogma that they tell you that you need to believe, you're in a world of hurt. All right? You're not saved. And that's what he's talking about here. You know, guys, guys, gals, we, we can fight over a lot of things. You know, we can argue about, you know, do you dunk them under the water, do you sprinkle them on the head for baptism, and we can, we can banner back and forth. You know, do, do you serve real wine in a communion service? God forbid. Yeah, God forbid. Or do you serve grape juice? Uh, well, yeah, we can banner back and forth and talk about that kind of stuff. All right. But, but when it comes down to is Jesus God or not, uh, you know, did he die in my place substitutionarily to take my place? You can't fool with that stuff. You can't, you can't, you can't argue over that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you can't, you can't, because if you do, you're going to wind up in the wrong spot. <clears throat> All right. There are things we can, you can get any of us in here together, and you get both, any two of us, and there's some theological points we all disagree on. And we get to heaven, we find we were all wrong. All right, somebody else was right. But I'll tell you what, you can't follow up who Jesus is and make it into heaven. And see, what we do today is we say, look, you know, do they love Jesus? Yeah, okay, they're, they're in. No. No, it does not necessarily mean you're in. The gospel is something to fight over. Something to fight over. And then when somebody sends it up and says, well, you know, the gospel is an issue, people say, well, you know, get with it, man. Why are you splitting hairs? What's wrong with you? Or like the evangelic, you know, there's a document that came out, the ECT Accord, 
evangelicals and Catholics together, Christian Mission in the third millennium, and they basically said, well, let, let's quit stealing each other's sheep. Let's quit evangelizing the Catholics. After all, they're of the same fold. They love Jesus. They're going to heaven. And you had theological supposed leaders from the evangelical camp sign that. And I said, where'd, they get, where'd their brain go? They said, well, they love Jesus. That doesn't mean anything. What happens in Matthew 7? Lord, Lord, did we not? He said, I don't know who you guys are. I don't know, I don't know you. I have no idea who you are. Um, Paul, Paul was a feisty character when it came to the gospel because you follow that up, you're, you're going to end up in the wrong eternal destiny. You can't mess that up. And he said, this gospel that you're hearing, this news, this, this message is not another gospel of the same kind. It's not one that leads to heaven. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ, to pervert it, to twist it into that which it is not. Paul was not happy with these people. And he said, but if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached, let him be damned. You know, Paul swore. He said, damn them. If they, if they come and preach another gospel to you, then the gospel we preach, which is a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of works. I think I already know the answer to this, but the way they distorted it was by adding a lot to it. Yes. The gospel and. When you have the gospel and, you've got a problem. The gospel and. Mm -hmm. In that same lesson, that was the Jewish Christian legalism was sent by the Jews to uh, institute the right of circumcision in that same uh, instance in that. Yeah. Lesson that the Judaizers. And uh, in the research, and I was reading up on that, Paul also said, Josh. The troublemaker. Yeah. And the troublemaker looking at the face of trouble. He said it's important to know who are teaching you and what they are teaching. And he says it's crucial in your in your learning and habits. I am amazed at how much local weed Christians eat. You know, in the old days I mean, you look at TBN, you know, and I sit there and say, good night. You know, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. Um, they, they eat, they, they, they do this stuff, and, and, you know, somebody comes along and says, I love Jesus. And they say, oh, he's a preacher, a man sent from God. Is he? Is he? Just because a man says, I love Jesus, does that make him a believer? Many went. Many went, but some just... Some were sent, but many went. Um, the, the thing is, as a believer, if there's one thing that I hope you, that comes through the classes that I teach, is you need to use your brain. God gave it to you. He gave you a Bible. He gave you a brain. He gave you the ability to read. 
for Pete's sake, don't let somebody tell you what to believe. And don't let some guy on TV say, I'm a man from God and dump a bunch of stuff on you. You say, well, he's obviously a preacher or he's a, he's a man of God. I'll just take what he says and, and, and just believe it. No, you compare it with Scripture. That's what the Bereans did. They didn't, Paul didn't walk into town and say, well, anything Paul says we believe. No, they went and compared it with Scripture. And Paul says they were noble in doing that. Compare it with Scripture. Don't let somebody just tell you. And Paul's marvel here is that he came in preaching a gospel of grace. These Judaizers come along and all these people are now fouled up into thinking that somehow they've got to add to the message. And Paul says, if I come back, or even an angel from heaven, damn them for doing that. And just so you don't get it, verse 9, as we have said before, I say now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be damned. That's what accursed means. Anathema, let him be damned. It's an important thing. You know, this gospel is a very important message. You can't foul it up. We can't add to it. We can't subtract from it. It's to be preached as it is. And what happened, of course, in, historically in this time, is that these Judaizers came along and said, yeah you, yeah, you came to Jesus, but you know, you really need to uh, get circumcised, and you need to watch these dietary laws, and uh, if you don't do that, you don't go to heaven. Alright? And Paul is saying, let them be damned. They trouble you. Verse 10, for now, do I now persuade men or God? Evidently, and, and this, is, this comes through in this book and, and in other books, if you want to come in and you want to preach another gospel to these people, what do you have to, what do, you have to do about Paul? Discredit him. You have to discredit him. Make him look bad. Really, you got to do that. If you're going to set yourself up as the authority, you got to make somebody else look bad. All right? And that's what these people tried to do. They said, well, you got to understand, Paul's just saying this because he wants you to be happy. I mean, you, didn't, you understand, Paul didn't want to come in here and lay all this law on you. He wanted you to, you know, just believe in the gospel of grace. But really, he should have told you all about this stuff. But he didn't want to make you mad at him, so he didn't tell you that. Paul says, do I sound like I'm now making, trying to make men happy? Do I sound like a man pleaser now? <clears throat> yeah. I was, I was done again um, and reading that as almost a year ago. In Philippians 1, about 15 through 18, Paul says, at least the Philippians preached the true gospel even though it was an ins insincere gospel. Yeah. He said, at least in the, in the eight and the nine contrast in that verse. Even if they preach it to hurt Paul, at least they're preaching the right thing. Right. <laughs> Paul said, I don't care about that. <laughs> Paul was not happy when somebody preached the false gospel. Especially when he's founded these churches and preached the gospel and somebody comes in and fouls things up. That really doesn't make him happy. He says, do I sound like a man pleaser now? Do I sound like I'm trying to tell you what you want to hear? See, that, that, I'll tell you what. You know how to pick a false prophet out of the crowd? Piece of cake. Are they telling people what they want to hear? Yeah. 
False. I'll tell you, if he's telling what people want to hear, he's a false prophet. Right. Does the gospel tell you what you want to hear? No. What tell you? It tells you what you need to hear, but it doesn't tell you what you want to hear. What tell you? You know how Robert Schuler started his church? He went to find out what people wanted to hear, and he told them that. What do you want to hear? And he told them. Men out there, do they want to hear that they're dirty, rotten, no good for nothing, sinner, damned, and on the way to hell? No. No, that's not user friendly, right? That doesn't. That that's not politically correct, and it does not cater to their need of self-esteem. Most definitely, they come to church to hear that. Say, men don't want to hear that. Right. They want to hear, look, you know, you're basically good. Yeah, you made a mistake here and there, but no, no, don't sweat it. We all do. You can't. Uh, Paul basically here, verse ten is very important. For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Who do you want to make happy? Yeah. Could you give a definition of a slave? A slave. Slave. I'm a slave of Christ. Could you say it as he's in bondage to Christ? Well, I think what Romans six Romans six says it very well. You're a slave to sin or a slave to God. Pick one. But you're a slave to one of those two. Make your choice. Um. Uh, a bond servant, I don't know what the actual word in the Greek here is. Okay. Um, the, I think the Greek word here is doulos, which is just plain slave. All right. I think that's what the Greek word is underneath this. I can find that out during the break. Which is say, I'm a slave of Christ. Now, in a sense, yeah, he's a voluntary slave, right? Because he said, well, let's see, I can be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. Okay, I'll be, one, I'll be a slave to Christ. It was a voluntary thing in that sense, but he was still a slave. We're under obligation to Christ. We're his bond servants. Yeah. So that's why I say, you know, when people say, well, you know, I want to take Jesus as Savior, not Lord. It's like, how can you do that? How, how can you do that? I mean, you're his slave. How can you do that? How can you say, yeah, but I'm not going to do what he says? How do you split that? You may not understand what it means, but I don't think you can intentionally say, well, I'm just not going to obey him. I have no intention of obeying him, but I certainly want to keep out of hell, so I, I think I'll take the, you know, the Savior part and leave the, the rest of it for later if I ever do get around to it. I, I don't think you can split those apart. It's all or nothing, I, don't, I think. And, and he's saying here, I, if I please men, the, the point Paul's making is I can please one of two people, men or God. Mm. I can pick one or the other. I remember John MacArthur was talking about the time when he was in uh, playing football. And he was, uh, I think he's one of the defensive tackles or something like that. And his uh, first play of the game, and uh, he was, his job was to defend the line against some, guy, some big guy. And uh, he didn't want to get hurt because the guy was a lot bigger than he was. So he didn't give a full effort. The guy, you know, pounded him to the ground and ran, you know, down the field 30, 40 yards or something like that. You know, just really rolled right over him. 
And he got up. He said, well, I better be, do better next time. So he got a little better in the game. But he didn't think anything of it until the next day he came back to practice. And they said, please report to the film room. And they went to the film room, and he's sitting there thinking, ah, it's no problem. You know, they don't get, you know, probably got, got the film loaded up or anything like that. Well, guess what the first play of the game was? Yeah. Got him getting pounded to the ground, the guy walking down, running down the field. And the coach said, stop. I said, rewind that. Let's play that again. And he said he played it two or three times. He said, guys, look at MacArthur. You know, just getting got pounded. And he said he learned something very valuable. He said, by the way, they did win the game. That wasn't the point. He said he learned something very valuable. There was only one guy in the field he was interested in making happy. It was his coach. Mm -hmm. exactly. Can I make the coach happy? There's only one person you and I should be worried about making happy. And it's God. And, and sometimes you're going to have to make a choice. Do I make God happy or do I make these men happy? And as pastors, that's a tough call. That's a tough call. But Paul says, I'm not here to make men happy. I'm here to make God happy. And, if I, and here's the problem. If you want to make men happy, you fall into a snare, don't you? Because you're always worried about what are they thinking. You're not thinking about what is right, what is wrong. It's how are they going to accept this? And it's a dead-end street because you wind up compromising. Yeah. To make men happy, to make people happy, it, it doesn't work. Paul says, I'm not making men happy. I'm making God happy. But listen, verse 11. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. You know how profound that statement is? You put a thousand men in a room, tell, them, tell me what the gospel is, they'll come out with the wrong answer. Men do, in and of ourselves, we would never have come up with this kind of gospel, would we? Well, look at the world over. What kind of religion do you have? It's all human effort, isn't it? Yes. It's all a human effort. You, you get you get a thousand men in a room and tell them find God, they wouldn't find him. Because it's incapable for us to understand spiritual truth. Why is that? Why can't you in and of yourself find spiritual truth? Self-centered. You're self-centered. Your sin. It's your sin. Um, there's a really fancy term for that. Um, you can go home and impress people with this um, word. And that, that is the huh? depravity. But I, I love this little word here. It's no, the noetic effect of sin. What that means is you're Sin has so screwed up your ability to think straight that you can't, you can't figure out spiritual truth. You can't. Sin has affected your mind. Read Romans chapter 3. How many people understand spiritual truth in Romans 3? No, not. Not one. None. Now that doesn't mean that you know you can't you don't know right from wrong. It doesn't mean you, you, there's not a sense of morality or residual 
understanding of God. It means that sin has so distorted your ability to see things straight that you don't see things spiritually clearly. And therefore, you cannot understand spiritual truth unless God does something. He's got to remove the blinders. What did you say that means? That is, no, noetic. noetic is from the Greek word mind. And what it means is sin has affected your ability to think. And I'll tell you what, if you really want to see how sin has affected your ability to think, turn on channel, what, 42 or 43 sometime at night. Philadelphia cable, and you'll see just how bad sins affected your mind. You got people on there talking about all of their personal, sexual, psychological hang-ups on a national television audience, and it's just—it's just weird. I mean, oh yeah. You know, it's like, why in the world would you want to be on Jerry Springer? I mean, what? Good night, you know. Why in the world would you want to do that? And what it, what happened? But what's happened is what, is what has sin done to the mind of man? Corrupt. It has affected their ability to see and understand spiritual truth. Why is it that Jerry Springer is what he is like? Is he a stupid man? No. Very intelligent. His problem is very simple. He's a sinner. Unless you think too highly of yourself, you need to realize if it wasn't for the grace of God, how would you think? Way. Same way. Probably. But you need to understand, sin's affected our ability to think and understand. And Paul says, the gospel that I preach to you, it's not according to man. It's not it's not something that we've dreamed up. It's not something that we've sat around and figured out. It's a divine revelation. It's something that God has told us. Because if He didn't, we would have never come up with this. We would have never figured this out. You understand that you will never understand God. You're inside a box of creation how do you understand the Creator who exists outside of this, this box of creation? How do you understand an eternal and infinite God who, who exists apart from all that is, unless He tells you about Himself? You can't figure that out. How do you know what God thinks of sin? He's got to tell you what it is. For I neither received it from man nor I was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Christ. I'll tell you where I got my message. I didn't get it from man, and I didn't get it by some revelation of man. I got it from Christ. I got it from Christ himself. This is not something I dreamed up on my own. It's not something that a bunch of us theologians sat around and concocted. It's a revelation of Christ. I'll tell you what's fascinating. You look at many other cults and all that, you see a development. In other words, their theology was defined over a period of time. What about the gospel? Was it defined over a period of time? No, it was proclaimed at a moment in time. And what is this good news? What's the gospel? What is the good news? Salvation. 
Salvation. For you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. You heard about what I was like. I was a bad guy. I was out to destroy the church. I was out to ruin it. I was doing God's service. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly jealous for the traditions of my fathers. And boy, was he. Philippians 3, we're going to get to that in a few weeks. He's going to say, As regarding the law, I was blameless. I did it all. I was zealous in my faith. I loved God as best as I could, and I kept every single law I could think of. And I made even some up just to make sure I wouldn't violate anything. Paul says, I was very zealous. I advanced beyond my contemporaries. You know, Paul was probably one of the most brilliant men of his day. I mean, this guy was no slouch. He knew his stuff. Yeah. I know this whole thing, obviously, he's talking to the Galatians, but do you think he's mainly talking to the Judaizers? He's talking to this church. He's talking, this is written to these churches. And it may be that some were in there when they got this, and he was talking to them. But he wrote this to this church. He's saying, when it came to Judaism, hey, I did everything I could. Think about some other people that fell into this category. How about Martin Luther? He did everything he could. And it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. See, the problem is, no matter how much you do, it's not good enough. It's never going to be good enough. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, that did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia, returned to Damascus. Now, I, I don't know where you know all of you sort out it here on the doctrine of election and predestination. I know where some of you do. But when I look at that verse, I'm sitting there saying, when was Paul called to be an apostle? From his mother's womb. Did Paul have a choice? No. In the eternal scheme of things, absolutely not. He said, I was chosen from my mother's womb. And what was he chosen? It says here, he called me through his grace. Called me through his grace. This is interesting. <clears throat> In verse 15, what you see is the fact that there were many years that Paul was elect, but he was not saved, right? God had chosen, God had known what he was going to do, but there came a point in time in which God revealed himself. Yeah. And I think for all of us, there's a point in time, I don't know how you want to sort it out in your own mind, there's a point in time when the light came on, wasn't there? Mm -hmm. Right. Someday, all of a sudden, oh, 
I get it. The light came on. And what happened? You believed. You believed. There was a day the light came on with Paul and he believed. In his case, it was a real light. It was the blinding light of Damascus. And he believed. And he said, uh, he called me through his grace. That, that's interesting. Why, why did God call Paul? Why Paul? Why did God call him? Paul knew he wanted to. He wanted to. I love that answer. That's, that's the answer. When I ask you something like that, the proper answer is he wanted to. Okay, just so I'm... No. So the <laughs> argument would be that if someone said predestination sounds pretty cool, that we all deserve help. Yeah. And then salvation is merely a gift of who God, God chooses. What do you deserve? Hell. Yeah, you deserve hell. You don't deserve heaven. Don't don't say, well, you know, I you know, God owes me a chance. Does God owe you anything? Ultimately, now, now God's a God of grace, and I, I I'm I'm admit to you guys, I don't understand all of this. All right, if you're asking me to give you the final answer on all of that, I can't do that. I'm telling you how I understand it. But I would have never become a Christian if God hadn't reached down to touch me. You know, I would never, I wouldn't, you, you do realize, I have a degree in physics, I'm a scientist. I can't see God, I can't throw him in a test tube, I can't do a test for his existence. Why do I believe him? He did something to me. He gave me the faith to believe. And in Paul's case here, there was a time when God chose to reveal himself by his grace, because he wanted to. Paul did not say, you know, God looked down the course of time and saw, wow, there's a jealous, zealous man. He's just a real good guy. I think I like Paul. I'll pick him. Was there anything that God saw in Paul that would make God choose him? No. See, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the biggest problem I think people have with the whole predestination and election thing. That somewhere deep down inside the bowels of their being, they think that they've earned or deserved something. Yeah. Somewhere down in there, there's a, well, you know, I believed. I, I believed. Or, or, there, or, you know, I'm a good, I'm basically a good person. God saw that and he redeemed me or, or something. You know, maybe we can't even put our finger on it, but. But a lot of times people, when they react so negatively, they, they want to think, well, somehow God owed them something. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't owe us anything. It pleased Him through His grace to reveal His Son in me. Yeah. Don't you think also, I mean, outside of the fact that He called for salvation, but He called Paul because of the life that He didn't live, that He would be such a great... No, I don't think that way at all. Yeah, well, you know what I'm saying? If you look at mm -hmm. all the characters in the Bible, a lot of them were just not, not the best character prior to their conversion. If but God that, did, we would never... If God did, we would never know. Because <clears throat> all God does is say, I chose him because I wanted to. And God chose me because he wanted to. And God chose you because he, he really wanted to. And it wasn't because... He wants to, but I... 
I guess I'm looking at it. And, and it could be that God, God so orchestrated the events of Paul's life that Paul would be the man that God needed for that time. Understand, do you understand what it means when we say God is sovereign? He's in charge. Now people say, yeah, I believe God is sovereign, but you know, I can choose to reject him. Well, then he's not sovereign. No. All right? You've you got to take one or the other. You know. Um, we don't understand all the implications of that. I don't understand how it all works out. I really can't fathom it, and I still to this day struggle with it. I'm just saying, I look at this text here, and I don't know how else to interpret it. I don't know how else to understand it. Paul says, and here's the thing, when he was called, he said, I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. I didn't go get somebody else's opinion. He said, I also didn't run up to Jerusalem and find out what the apostles thought. But I went into Arabia and from there in Damascus. Paul did not seek somebody else's notion of what he ought to do. He was called. And he was called to do what? It says here, to preach among the Gentiles. Take the message of grace to the Gentiles. That was his job. And we're going to find in Ephesians chapter 3 that God chose him to be the messenger of the dispensation of grace. The gospel to the Gentile. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Eventually Paul did get there, but it wasn't, he didn't go to Jerusalem to get the official stamp of the church. After three years, he finally got around to seeing Peter. And even then, he was only there 15 days. Yeah. And they said, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So he didn't go up to get the, you know, the, the laying on of hands of the apostles or anything like that. He saw Peter. They said, oh, I saw also James up there. James, the Lord's brother. Now this is interesting because this is one of the few references we have to James, the Lord's brother. And evidently he was a pillar in the early church, it says in the Bible. He was the chief elder in Jerusalem. And he became a believer after Christ's ascension, resurrection. So evidently he was not a believer before that. Now concerning these things I'd write to you, indeed before God I do not lie. Paul says before God I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. And afterward I went in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was unknown by faith of the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. Paul says, I did not go to Jerusalem or anything like that. I went into, here it says, uh, the region of Syria and Cilicia. Where's that? Well, that's north. He said, I didn't even go down to Jerusalem. They didn't, all they knew in Jerusalem is some guy that used to persecute us is now a believer in preaching Christ. That's the extent of their knowledge of me. And they glorified God in me. What's Paul trying to do here? He's trying to give the Galatian reader some sense of his calling. And for them to understand, he was not there on the authority of the apostles. He was there on the authority of Christ. 
who called him and set him aside and commissioned him to do this. Verse 2, or chapter 2, yeah, chapter 2, verse 2. See, we got through chapter 1. Yeah. Any, any questions on that or any... Chapter 2. And then after 14 years, I again went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Okay. Yeah. Question. It says he went up to Jerusalem. Where was he at? Everywhere is up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a high city up in the mountains. Oh, okay. okay. That was a religious center. And it was high. It was on a high hill. So whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. Okay. All right. That's just a common name. It's like I'm going down south. Well, down. What do you mean down? Well, you know, we understand what it means. Yeah. Jerusalem north. How did he go up to Jerusalem? I Yeah. He went up to Jerusalem. Everything is up in elevation. And he took Barnabas and Titus with me. Who are these people? Who's Barnabas? He's the one who encourages. He's the one who encourages. He's the one who who introduced Paul to the church. He was the chief encourager of Paul. Not only that, he was the one who traveled with Paul on his first missionary journey, remember? Was he a Jew? Yeah. He lived in Crete. Who's Titus? He was a Gentile. And where did he live? And where did he where's he from? He was from, I think, Crete as well. Crete. And uh, Titus is an interesting character. Um if you study the pastoral epistles, you will find that there were two men that Paul said were his true sons in the faith. Titus and Timothy. And you know what that means? That means when Paul was all said and done, how many people did he have to fill his shoes? Two. Two of them. Spent his whole life and he had two people to take over for him. And, uh, you know, I... I I think Timothy is one of those characters you ought to study. I really relate to Timothy a lot. I don't see myself as a Paul. I see myself as a Timothy. Um, Paul was a type AAA guy. I mean, he just had more energy and knew what to do with. I'm not that kind of person. Paul is a very energetic leadership type person. And... Uh, Oh, saying not knowing what you said, huh? Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I like Peter. He always said not knowing what he said, you know. He just talked and didn't know what he was thinking, you know. What you see is what you get. Yeah. If you see Timothy, it's as good as seeing me because we're on the same page. His true son in the faith. And he said, I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Now, um, chapter 2, many say refers to the Jerusalem Council of Acts 14. 
All right, they say that this is what Paul is talking about here. Now, what was the problem in Acts 4, yeah, Acts 14, Acts 15? Well, a bunch of the Jews said, well, Paul's preaching some other gospel, so the elders from Jerusalem, the church, called Paul up and asked him to give them the message that he's preaching. Paul tells them, and they say, yeah, you're right. That's the gospel. See, there are some people that were accusing Paul of being this free grace kind of guy. You know. Um, he said, I went up by revelation, communicated to them the gospel which I preached. But he said, when I did this, I did it privately to them, lest, you know, I didn't want to. And this shows you something about Paul. Paul says, you know, I went with the idea that maybe, maybe I've got this thing fouled up. Maybe I'm giving them the wrong gospel. Now, I got it from Christ, but maybe I, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe, maybe, maybe I, I, I don't got it right. So he went with an attitude of the apostles to have them check him out. Well, remember, well, let's just go back to Acts 15, I guess. Um, and you see what happened here in Acts 15. Let's find Acts 15. Um, and certain men came down from Judea. <laughs> There's your down and up. They came down from Judea and, uh, and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Where do they come to? Antioch. Paul is in the church in Antioch of Syria, not Pisidia. These guys came down and says, listen, you can't, unless you're circumcised, you can't get to heaven. Now all these people in this church were Gentiles. They've not been circumcised according to the law of Moses. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, in other words, they argued with them, and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they decided, well, let's send Paul down to the apostles and the elders and have them check them out. And have them give us their read on this. Because where were these people coming from that were preaching this need of circumcision? Where did they, where did they say they were from? Judea. Where, and what's in Judea? Jerusalem. So let's go down there and let's find out. So they did. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. They caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. The apostles and elders. Who are the apostles? The twelve. Peter, James, those people. Who are the elders? They were not the apostles, but they were the leadership, the pastors, in a sense, of the church. This is the leadership. So they went to the leadership of the church. And all they did was report what God had done. They gave them a description of what God had done in their journeys. And in Acts 13 and 14, what you have is a description of the first missionary journey. Yeah? My question is, the Pharisees and the Sadducees still around? Yeah, they just, they just don't go away. 
they're still there. Because it says here, when they come to Jerusalem, well, verse 4, 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Am I right or wrong? Some Pharisees became complaining on that crusade. Yeah. What happened with these Pharisees? What do they say? It is necessary to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. Were these Pharisees really saved? No. Were these Pharisees really saved? No. No. Well, that sounds like a good paper topic someday. No, no, that's not a good one. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, well, that, that one never will really be good. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, you have to ask the <laughs> Somebody asked me that, and, and I look at that and I say, well, this is the way I answered it. If they came to Christ with the understanding that it was them and the gospel, no, they're not. Right. If that's how they came to Christ. If they came to Christ for grace and got all fouled up, yeah, they could be. I mean, it's, it's possible to get all balled up in your theology to some extent. But I'll tell you what, if you come to Christ and think it's Christ and me, no, you've got to think about that. But a lot of that's going on today, though. Yeah, that is a problem, isn't it? A lot of that today is going on. It's Christ and. It's Christ and me. See, I don't think you can come to Christ and mix any kind of work or effort or human achievement in there and think somehow you're saved. It's all Christ and none of you. Could these people have been truly believers? Yeah, they could be immature like she said or, or fouled up in their theology. But if they truly deep down in their heart came and think that, you know, if I don't get circumcised and get saved, I'm not going to heaven. You may have to think about that one there. It's Christ alone. And see, you understand that that's what caused the Reformation? In other words, they could have been confused about it. Could have been. But, which, is, which is, could be acceptable. But they said it's Christ, but I think it's circumcised before he died. That's under that It's one of those things where, it's one of those things where, it's almost I don't know, because I don't know what their hearts are like. I, I can't read their hearts, their mind. Okay, I'm just saying if you have somebody in your church that says, you know, I'm going to heaven. I've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, and I realize if I don't make 51 Sundays out of 52, I'll probably die and go to hell. They've got a real problem. I mean, they could be fouled up in their theology, or they may not understand grace. All right. You can't, you can't, not for certain. I am saying that that, that needs to, that's an issue that needs to be addressed with them. No. I can't. I can't say that. You know, I can't say you're in or out. It's not, you know, it's not my, it's, I don't have the privilege from God to tell who's in and out of right. the kingdom. I don't know who the tear is and who the wheat is. He's a, he's separate, he's a, he's a, he's a, he'll worry about that. 
It's known by the fruit it bears. And I'm saying is, when we, you show me someone who believes, truly believes, that's their effort that gets them to heaven along with the grace of God, the chances are highly, are high that they're not truly saved. Does it mean 100% of the time they're not? No, I can't tell you that. I don't know that. I, I, I don't. I'm saying they don't understand grace. Yeah. Yeah. I was just asking a question like you just said. You've been, you've been asking on my mind from the first class by grace. And I've been getting a very considerable of, uh, amount of uh, considerations. But I never, when I was a kid, I, I used to always wonder when people would say grace, you know, I didn't know really what they would understand. So my dad had been a pastor. I walked to him one day and I said, Dad, I'm tired of hearing you talk about grace. Tell me what the meaning of grace is. And I kept hearing people say, I'm married to faith. So I didn't understand that. You know, so finally one day I asked my dad, he said, son, that's God's redemption at Christ's expenses. And and I thought about that all, all from then on. And, uh, and I was just saying that if these individuals went up to Christ like Nicodemus went up to him and asked him, and if they're really smart and intelligent, they well, they would have asked uh, what it took to be saved, you know, uh, of Paul to, to deal with him on that and I think some people just come in the huddle when you talk about the coach. Some people just come and join in the huddle to see what, what they're saying in the huddle and to find out what's going on to relate a message to another group of individuals or what's going on of counsel. But with the Pharisees, they didn't they did want to accept the truth. They didn't right. want to accept the gospel. They had their mind already made up. That's, That's what they had to Okay, what to preach, what to teach, their mind already made up that they got salvation. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's sort of like uh, Christ is just one thing to add to my possibility of being saved. Okay. So like the one guy that said, you know, when he got to Vietnam, he was pretty irreligious, an atheist basically. He got to Vietnam. Before long, he had a, he had a, I don't know, he had a star David. He had a, he had a rabbit's foot. He had some totem from some, uh, some uh, Indian tribe. You know, he had a little book of Buddha and Mao. Somebody asked him, well, what in the world are you? He says, look, I can't afford to get anybody mad. I got to please them all. You know, um, we'll just add, we'll just add grace to this mix and hope, hope maybe that that I get in. The thing is, the gospel. All I'm saying is, is I mature in my Christian faith. I understand more and more how less and less I'm able to make God happy in and of myself. Right. I can't make him happy. Because there's no amount of effort that I can do in and of myself apart from his sovereign grace and empowerment that will make him happy. Yeah. Nothing. And whenever I start saying, well, yeah, it's grace, but you know, I need to work really hard. and If I don't do that, I'm going to die and go to hell. Hmm. I don't understand grace. Now, can I be saved? Yeah. Can I be confused? Yeah. But I think we owe people like that a challenge to, to really look and see, are you really saved? They may be, but you need to challenge them along those lines. You know, you can't work your way into heaven. You can't. You know, and see that, and quite honestly, that goes along with all the Baptist lists that I've had in my life. You go to a Baptist church, and on the way in, they give you a list of things that you got to do to get to heaven. I'm being facetious, of course, I mean. But here's the list of things you need to do to make God happy. You don't go to movies, and you don't go here, and you don't do this. We all have our lists. 
And that doesn't make God happy. But he says here, uh, these Pharisees says it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Yeah. Now the apostles and others came together to consider this matter. When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now what's he talking about? Well, he's going back to Cornelius. Remember Paul was on the yeah, rooftop. He was a Gentile, right? Yeah. And that the yeah, Paul said, I mean, Peter says, um, you know, Peter's up on the roof and God lowers down the sheet with all the unclean animals and say, kill and eat. He said, I'm going to eat that stuff, God. God said, don't, don't tell me what I'm giving you unclean. If I said you can eat it, you can eat it. He's trying to get Peter to understand this notion of the Gentile not being this, this person he has to stay away from. And so Peter finally goes down and preaches to Cornelius, and what happens? Well, Cornelius believes, and immediately the Holy Ghost falls upon him. He speaks in tongues, according to that, according to Acts chapter 10. And then it's funny, because Peter comes back to Jerusalem, they're mad at Peter. Mm-hmm. And Peter said, look, I, don't, don't yell at me. I, I preached the gospel. The guy believed God. God redeemed him. Don't blame me that the guy's a Gentile. Because they didn't like the idea that the Gentiles were now in on the gospel message. And Peter's saying, here, listen. All I know is when I preached, God redeemed them. And I'll tell you what, he wasn't circumcised then. He was not keeping the law then, and God redeemed him. So what's the issue? What's the issue? God has made no distinction. Why should we? Now that's good until you get into certain churches where we do make a distinction, right? Because our standards are higher than God's. He, he really lets too many people into heaven that he shouldn't. Right. Mm-hmm. He really should worry more about those who drink alcoholic beverages, and he should really worry about more of those who smoke. You know, you got to keep those bad people out. And those who go to movies, oh, don't let them in. You know, don't let the the, the significantly overweight people in. You know, let, let's 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 get the right people in heaven. Our standards higher than God's. That was true at the end. Pardon? That was the end. Yep. Nobody get in, would they? And he says, "Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why are you giving them the law? We couldn't do it. And you think they're going to do it?" We couldn't bear it. Are they going to bear it? Come on. Why give them a yoke that we couldn't bear, our fathers couldn't bear? But if we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. We all believe we're saved in the same manner. Why add works? We couldn't do it. They're not going to be able to do it. Why add that? Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. 
Paul's saying, listen, we preached the gospel. They came to Christ. They weren't circumcised. They didn't keep the law of Moses. If the circumcision was just a big deal, God would have spoke from heaven and said, okay, Cornelius, believe now. As soon as you're circumcised, you'll get the Holy Ghost. No. Didn't work that way, did it? <clears throat> Men and brethren, after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, Simon has declared how God at the first visit of the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now this the words of the prophets agree, just as is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set up so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Even in the Old Testament, God is calling the nations. Yeah. What do you suppose? I know that this is a stupid question, but they never seem to get the hang of it. I mean, there's other places in the Bible that says the Gentiles are going to be redeemed, and the Gentiles are going to be this, and the Gentiles that. And they, they were so, so exclusive. That's an interesting question. Why did they never wake up and smell the coffee? I don't know. Well, they didn't listen to their prophets last time they killed them, so that's kind of normal. Yeah, so like they didn't listen to prophets, how are they going to read the Bible and figure it out? Um, yeah, all types of people in the world, maybe they thought because they came to the scene of Abraham, they just automatically just, you know, came with him. Just walk on through the pretty gates. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I hate to say this, but we're sort of pretty good at doing that ourselves. I'll tell you how bad it was. I was in college where I figured out that Lutherans, there are some Lutherans that go into heaven. <laughs> I didn't know they did. I thought unless you were Baptist, you were, you were scorching for sure. Really, I, I, did not, I did not have any concept. That's a good thing for anyway. That's a paper topic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, real, I'm serious. I, I went to Oberlin, and I met a Lutheran gal who was a, who loved the Lord, was born again, and she was a Lutheran of all things. And then I found a couple of Presbyterians. They were in two. And there are some other denominations in there. So like the guy that sort of dies and goes to heaven, and he's getting a tour of heaven, and they walk by this one big building, and Peter said, now be really quiet, shh, don't talk, you know. They get by the building. He says, "You know what is all that about?" Well, those are the Baptists, and they think they're the only ones up here. You know, um, yeah, yeah, I think I'll. Um, but 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 we do listen. We do the same thing. He said he's a missionary. Yeah. We do the same thing, don't we? If it's if they're not part of our denomination, there's something wrong. See, see we, we've lost, I think we've lost it as, as well as sometimes the Jews have done. Because we add all of this other junk onto the gospel that you lose what the gospel is. You know, um, we're just good at doing that. And, and the Jews were very good at doing that. See, all their life they thought, that they were some special thing because God chose them. And you know what? Their churches, they sit around, pack themselves on the back, saying, isn't it great that God chose us? Well, we're just wonderful people. Pat themselves on the back. 
Why did God choose any of us? Because of grace. And I like what he says. I forget where it is in the, in the, in, um, the Old Testament. He says, you know, do you think God chose you because you're a great nation, because, because you're a great people? Boy, you, you guys were no man's in the desert. Don't think you're anything special because God chose you. But what they had done is they, they had fallen into the trap of thinking. And I think this is what it is. They had fallen into the trap of thinking that they could make God happy by what they did. I can really, truly make God happy. In fact, one I remember reading about one rabbi who was dying. Had somebody come in and read back to him so God could hear all the deeds he had done in his life, his good deeds, for God's benefit. See, uh, Paul says this very interestingly in Romans chapter, um, I think it's Romans 10. Let's look at Romans 10. Um, Brethren, my heart's desire, Romans 10.1, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. He says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God and not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now that, that verse there is a very profound verse. Paul is saying they have a zeal for God. But it's not according to knowledge because they go around trying to establish their own righteousness. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You do know that there is a righteousness that you can do. Is it good enough? No, it's not good enough. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3. He says, look, I want to stand not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, how, does, how is that given to you? Faith. He said, the Jews have went around to establish their own righteousness, and they have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, there's a lot of ways to interpret verse 4. That's a tough verse to figure out. But I think what it says is um, when you see Christ, the law as a means of righteousness does is what? Obliterated. If you did not have Christ, which is the only what is the only way you could get to heaven? Perfect. Living perfectly by the law. And Christ ends that forever as any hope of any means of access to God. And by the way, did God ever give the law as a means of salvation? Was that ever its intent? No. No, it was never intense intent. God never gave it to do that. But what they had done is, is they had twisted the belief in God, the righteousness of God. They had twisted that into human effort. And it becomes so ingrained in their, their theology and their thinking and their culture that they couldn't see beyond that are convinced that somehow I'm going to make God happy because I'm going to work and do what he wants me to do, what I think he wants me to do. Mm. And so they'd sit around all day long figuring out, now if you write too many letters, you've done work and that makes God unhappy on the Sabbath day. 
And that's the kind of stuff it degenerated into. And unfortunately, we do the same thing in our churches today. If you listen to that style of music, you must be an ungodly person. If your hair is too long, you must be very ungodly. If a woman wears pants, she's on her way to hell. You just put it in. See? And we, we lose that. And in Acts chapter 14, we, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but James basically gives his, his edict, his, 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 the conclusion, saying, no, we're not going to add that burden. What we're going to do is tell him not to you know, do unclean things and eat things strangled and sacrifice styles. And, you know, and somebody says, well, why did he throw that in? He threw that in because he didn't want to freak the Jews out. All right. Um, that was not to make them saved. That was not to get them into heaven. That was just so that they would not send the Jew, Jewish believers into a tizzy. Did they have a right to eat ham on Sunday, on Saturday? Absolutely. But it probably wouldn't be bright if your Jewish neighbor was coming over to serve a ham sandwich. Because they're just not used to that yet. But here in Act Galatians, back to Galatians 2. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He said, I don't understand the circumcision thing. Because the Jewish council didn't say Titus had to be circumcised. They, they didn't force that. Now, if that was a necessary part of salvation, what would the Jerusalem council have done? Had them to be circumcised, but they didn't. So how is it that some people come and say, well, you've got to be circumcised by the law of Moses? And do? They didn't do that in, 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 in Jerusalem. And this occurred because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with me. We did not allow them to bring us into bondage at all. You understand that the law is bondage. It's a chain. Paul's not preaching antinomianism. That's a fancy word. It means no law. Do what you want. After all, God's forgiven you, right? God's forgiven you. So sin. Doesn't matter. That's what the antinomian says. Paul's not preaching an antinomianism, but in Paul's gospel, where did the law go? Where did it go? Where's the law written? On your heart. The law's gone inside. Not some external tablet of regulations. And, so, and, and we, you know, we talked about this last week. You know, that was the Sermon on the Mount. Christ said, listen, you've heard it said, thou shalt not uh, murder. But I'm telling you, if you hate somebody, you might as well just stick a knife in their back. Because as far as God's concerned, you're a murderer. That's how God understood it. It's the intent of the heart, not the action. And Paul says, I didn't, we did not yield to these people not even for an hour. That means we didn't give them any 
deference at all. And these people came in to spy out our liberty. And, and I, you know, I've often thought, why do people do this? And I think, I guess my conclusion is, is, is that uh, there are two ways to look good. Number one is just plain look good. Number two is to get next to somebody who looks bad. That'll work. <laughs> right? And you look pretty good, you know. And what we like to do is sit around and say, well, we're good because we're not like you know, that church over there. You know, they, they serve wine in their communion service. Isn't that horrible? Their pastor actually watched a movie last year. Can you believe that? It was hilarious. I remember when our pastor first came to church here, um, he was being interviewed by the, um, the search committee or whatever. And one of the guys, it's funny, one of the guys asked him, says, uh, what do you think about movies? Wrong question, all right? Because our previous pastor here, I mean, you, if you served in a church, you could not go see a movie. In fact, he had to sign a commitment every year that said, I will not go to movies. Because to do so was an ungodly thing to, to, to do that. Um, somebody asked him, so what, do you go to movies? He said, what kind of question? I mean, he was pretty, what kind of question is that? And he, he, got, he, took it, he tore into him a little bit. He said, you're asking the wrong question. Why don't you ask me what I watch? Right. That's the important thing, right? Right. It's not, do you go to a movie? It's, what do you watch? What do you fill your mind with? He said, yeah, I go to movies. Well, that freaked a few of the poor guys out. I mean, they never did recover from it, I think. You know, some of them, I think, left the church shortly after Pastor came because they could not handle the way he had lowered God's standards, which were never really God's standards at all. It was our standards. And then I had, and then I had to laugh. I remember one of the meetings we had, we were to ratify, I think I talked, I forget if I talked about this last week or not, ratify our new church uh, um, um, constitution or whatever. And the wording was changed um, um, that the pastor shall not be given to much wine. Literally. I mean, and of course, that's what the Bible says, right? Now, if God did not want you to drink, what would he have said? Don't drink. Don't drink. I mean, that would have been very, you know, that would have solved so many problems if he had just come out and said it. No, then we just have something else on the list. Yeah, we'll have something else on it. But it would have solved all this problem. We wouldn't be arguing about all this stuff. But no, he didn't say that. He said, not given much wine. And this one poor old guy, he just lost his cookies on that. He could not believe that we would be um, encouraging people to go drink. And we weren't at all. We were saying, what's the Bible say? Let's, let's go by God's standard. And he said, no, that, that's not a good enough standard. God obviously lets more crumb bums in here than he should. I have a better standard than God. It's a dead end street. You know, that's a typical question that we need to know the pastor today, you know, that you know, we face with different situations like that. And pastor, the young pastor especially. And, and like I was just saying, that used to bother me too, you know, as a kid. I bother my dad everywhere. He's a moderator for 30 years. And he used to go interview with pulpit committees before they called the next pastor. And I would ask my dad, I said, how can they call a pastor 
When the Bible said, I give you pastors caught in my own heart, you feed who will not understand. How can you interview? You know? Mm-hmm. How can you basically interview a pastor whose God is going to give to the church? So I'm just saying, how can you set up a church council, a search committee, pulpit committee, whatever, and call a pastor when God said, I give you pastors according to my own You gotta find them though. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's I what the search committee does. Who could qualify? Man, he is qualified by God, but the church recognizes his leadership. I mean, that's what they did in the early church. How, how did you get to be an elder in the early church? Did you walk in and say, hi, I'm an elder. Okay, we'll make you pastor. No. You had to go through the ranks. You had to go through the ranks. You had to, 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 ex- to display your character over time, didn't you? Yes. Um, and, then, and then you were recognized right. as an elder. All right, um, I, I sort of like that model, personally. Yeah, I like that model. You know, that, that's the only thing that gets me shaped. Is that you know, because I used to see deacons on boards who were on book committees who wanted to pass with a PhD, but they had a third grade education. Yeah. And they wonder why they were giving so much trouble and everything is because they couldn't understand what the pastor was saying. Yep. Yes, then you want a pastor to understand. So. Yep. I just think God is God loves for us to go through and enhance our life. But it's not about education, but it's about consecration. Yeah. So that's where I, I believe. It's not how much you know, it's how much you do. Right. Um, Howard Hendricks says you're educated beyond your 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 um your belief. Or you're educated beyond your obedience. You know more than you do. Uh, you know, I think a pastor needs to be called by God and it's evidenced by the way he conducts his life. Right. And it's evidenced over time. Um, I, you know, one of the things that used to bother me, and it, it still does, I'll be honest with you, is guys that come out of college or out of seminary, and all of a sudden they're Pastor Joe Blow. <laughs> that All it means is they got some That's education. True. That doesn't mean that they're a pastor. They've not they've not demonstrated to me there. It doesn't mean they're not qualified to be one someday. But but you you, you need to, in the early church, not just everybody became a pastor. Right. I, mean, I think that's the problem. Every preacher is not a pastor. It's not meant to be a pastor. Yeah, probably. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you now, know, now Paul, he wasn't really a pastor, right? Yeah, he was. He was an elder, was pastor. Yeah. You remember calling him Amos? Yeah, he said, I was just a fig picker out doing my thing, and the next thing you know, God's, I'm in the ministry now. Right. <laughs> you know, God called him. You know, um, and I think you see that. In the, I, I think the thing here is, just because you don't have a lot of education doesn't mean you can't be a pastor. Right. But if you are a pastor, you should want to learn more about Christ and God. You should want to grow and mature. But I'll tell you, some of the best preachers in the world didn't know squat. I mean, when it came to the world's credentials, I mean. I think Vance Havers talked about Gypsy Smith. He was an old um, preacher from the old days. And he couldn't read very well. And someone asked him how he expounded scriptures. He said, well, you know, I just read up to the big word stop, talk a while, and then I pick up on the other side and nobody notices. You know, I skip the word there. You know, nobody figures it out. Um, some of these... Are you called by God? 
And uh, what, what I, I, getting back to the texture, I think, is, um, you know, we, we have our list. We do the same thing that the Judaizers did yes. to a lot of extent. Yeah. Verse 6, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God shows no shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be nothing, something added nothing to me. He said, I didn't care about the big shots and I wasn't worried about what they thought. <coughs> That's our problem. We get around some big shots and we start quaking in our shoes. Paul said, I don't care who they are. You know, that's a good way to get, you know. I don't care who this guy is. I serve Christ. I'm not going to be intimidated by some credentialed guy. I'm not going to be, be cowered into the corner by some supposedly big leader in the church. Vance Havner said it well. He said, big shots turn out to be buckshot when you know them. Yeah. Um, just because somebody is a high-profile person doesn't mean they, they're closer to God. That's, I guess, another thing. Just because somebody's a pastor doesn't mean they're closer to God. Right, right. See, we make that mistake. Say, who's the most godly person at the church? Well, it's got to be the pastor, obviously. May not. not. In fact, he might be the most carnal one at the church. Paul says, I, I didn't worry about those who seem to be something. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. Now this is an interesting message here. Paul saying, God called Peter to preach basically to who? Jews. And he called me to preach basically to Gentiles. And when they saw that, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcision also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. Paul says, you know, we're empowered by the same person. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter to preach to the Gentile, or the, the Jews. He empowered me to preach to the Gentiles. And guess what? We both got our power from God. You have the same Holy Spirit that John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, Charles Stanley, and any other preacher has. You got the same Holy Spirit. <coughs> it, it, it's, they don't know anything more than you do. They don't have the ability to learn anything more than you can learn if you if because you have the Holy Spirit. And he empowers all of us equally. I mean he can equally. Now the problem is, you know, are we pure and holy vessel so that the power can flow. That's the problem. You know, you get, you, get, you get crud on your battery terminal on your car, you know, it won't start. You got to clean those battery terminals off and get a good connection and, and you're rolling, you know. And a lot of times we need to clean crud off in our lives. Um, a lot of times Christians say, I don't know why God doesn't use me. And you look at their life and say, well, good night. No wonder God doesn't use you. <laughs> If I walk into my kitchen at home and I pull out a dish off the shelf and it's got crud from yesterday's meal on it, I don't eat off it. I give it to you. No, I don't. I throw it in the dishwater. All right. 
I put it in the dishwater. And I pull another plate off the shelf. And a lot of times God goes to the cabinet and he wants to pull out somebody for use and he picks you up and say, yikes. And he puts you back and gets somebody else because there's some sin. You want to be used by God. Somebody says, you worry about getting close to God and he'll put you to work. That's the truth. God will put you to work. God's, if, you're, if you're qualified, if you're godly, if you're a holy person, God will get you a job. He's not going to leave you sit around. He's going to put you to work. Paul said, when they saw that uh, the gospel of the circumcision was given, or the uncircumcision was given to me, and circumcision to Peter, they glorified God. And Paul used the circumcision, uncircumcision here, just as a general term to refer to Gentiles, Jews. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The right hand of fellowship. He said, Paul, you go preach your message to the Gentiles and we'll go preach to the Jews, but we're all on the same team. We all have the same Holy Spirit. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Just remember the poor. Take care of those who don't have sufficient resources. And Paul said, I was going to do that anyway, so that's no big deal. What is this? This is Paul trying to say, you know, we have the same Holy Spirit, the same gospel, the same message, but we have a different clientele. Now that's a fascinating thing. You do realize that there are some people that you can reach that, that other people can't. Because God gives you a different ability to, to, to preach and to teach. I get amazed. You know, I've, I've heard people over the years, I'm going to write a book someday, Stupid Reasons Why People Leave Churches. Um, yeah, I'll probably be. And one of the stupid reasons I hear, well, he doesn't preach the way I want. So what? Maybe you're, not, maybe you're not listening the way you should. Maybe you're not listening the way you should. I I want to sit back. It was it was really interesting. Um, a while back in our church, we had a, a group of people that really didn't like the way our pastor preached and all that. And I was sitting there thinking. I said, you know, I don't relate to that because you know I'm sitting there saying, well, they don't preach the way he should be preaching, whatever that way should be is. Saying the why of every Sunday, if I have people standing in my Sunday school class telling me how the message that week had spoke to them, and how they were convicted over something in their lives, how God spoke to them through the sermon preached that morning, if that's not the way you're supposed to preach, how, what are they listening to? What a dead end! I mean, get a life. And what I came to understand very early on is that. You know, this style business, you know, that's just, so, so what? I will tell you this right now. I'll be honest with you. If I was to walk into some of your churches, um, I wouldn't like the style. But there are some people who walk in there that that's exactly what they need. Let them come in. And why should I have to come in there saying, well, now you're doing it the wrong way. You're not supposed to raise your hands when you sing. That's, that's not the Orthodox Baptist thing to do. 
Put those hands down. You got to look sour like, you know, you've lost your last friend. Be sober. No joy on the face. Christians, a serious thing. No laughing. Who am I to dictate to you how to do your ministry? Who do you work for? Christ. And what I want to ask a lot of these people, I say, you know what, at the judgment seat of Christ, are they going to stand before you to give account to you? If they aren't, shut up. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we ought to have a text from the right one to preach. There is no right. Whenever the Spirit gives to that pastor preaching, you know, because there are some hard-hearted folks sometimes are getting some hard sermons. Yeah, the point is God God has gifted each of us in various ways to reach people. Yeah. And 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 instead of saying we all got to turn out, you know, um, little, uh, you know, cookie cutter Christians that all look and act the same way. We all have different ways of, 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 of preaching, different styles. And enjoy it. If you listen to Paul and you listen to Peter, you say, I don't like the way he preaches. Some would say. I like the one, I, I, I quote Vance Havner a lot just because I like to listen to the guy. And he says, you know, the problem with some churches when they change preachers, they, all the People in church are crying, saying, I don't like him because he changed my formula. Think of babies, you know, get the formula, change their wine. Grow up! Get a life! You know, quit whining. Paul said they gave, God gave one ministry to Paul, and, or to Peter, and to James, and to John, and he gave another ministry to me. But you know what? We're all on the same Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.